Hey, it's Kyle Meredith, host of the Kyle Meredith with podcast, presented by WFPK at WFPK.org and the Consequence Podcast Network. It's a series that puts the spotlight on iconic musicians and actors, inviting them to drop by and talk about their latest projects, whether it's albums, TV shows, films, or beyond. I'm going to say something I don't want to say. Here it goes. Without Spinal Tap, there is no Tenacious D. Whoa. <laughs> Man. We get great stories and the biggest scoops from people like Garbage's Shirley Manson, the 1975's Maddie Healy, Jack Black and Kyle Gass of Tenacious D, Maya Hawk, Kiefer Sutherland, and everyone in between. New episodes arrive every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, so it's a great way to keep up with your favorite artists and discover some new ones. You can find Kyle Meredith with on the Consequence Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. On April 23rd, Weird the Union released Morbid Obsessions, the first single off their new album, Ordinary Life. The group had kept news of a new album tightly locked down, surprising the world with it that morning. The song also came with a huge announcement. Lead singer Reed Wilcott was coming out as a trans woman, and Morbid Obsessions, a catchy ska punk song, touched on her journey. The entire Ordinary Life album, it was announced, would document her journey to become her true self. Reed, our guest today, joins us to further discuss this. And with a couple of songs that have already been released, Ordinary Life is looking to be one of the best records of 2021. I knew that We Are The Union was coming out with a new record, and I knew that there was all of this secrecy around it. And you and I have never been good with the whole, like, coming soon, big announcement thing. Oh, no. it's That always seems so uh, hacky. Yeah. I was like, okay, I don't understand why my friends are being so secretive about this. And then the day of the announcement came, and I remember looking at my phone and seeing this picture of Reed as a woman and going, oh, this all makes sense now. This isn't like some, like, oh, big announcement coming soon thing. This is like an important moment in a person's life. Yeah, because it was weird that they wouldn't even tell us what was going on right. as friends. And I couldn't figure out what it was. I assume maybe they had collaborated with some big artist or something, maybe, and that they just didn't want it out there. That was where I was guessing. Yeah, I had no clue what was going to be happening. And I mean, both Brent and Reed have played in Omnigon with me. They've stayed at my house before. You know, I feel very close with them. So the secrecy just made no sense. And now once I saw that Reed's a woman, I texted her and I said, hey, I love you, Reed. Are you still going to play guitar in my band? <laughs> because Reed had taken all that band names off of her profile. <laughs> and she said, of course, duh. At the time that we're sitting down for this conversation, Yes. We are about a week out from the big dual announcement. One, about you being a woman. And two, the album, Ordinary Life. How have things been for the last week? Things have been really incredible. It's been, you know, an, an outpouring of support. You never know how these things are going to turn out. You know, it's funny. I was, was reflecting on this earlier. 
for the first time ever, I wasn't nervous about the song. I was actually really confident about the song. Um, I was nervous as hell about everything else. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, who knows if that was like that nervousness trumping uh, nervousness about the song and I just had faux confidence or if it was actual confidence in the song. But um, usually I'm like a wreck anytime new music gets put out in the world. But I didn't feel that way at all. You know, I, I was a little bit nervous about how people would kind of perceive the news. But, you know, I was really lucky to be surrounded by such an incredible team of people um, that like, you know, I knew that we put our best foot forward. You know, we had an incredible photographer and makeup artist in, in Ray Mystic. We had an incredible videographer in Chris Grau. We had an incredible record label in Bad Time Records, an incredible producer in John Graver. Like we had this incredible team, you know, I've said that word so many times that I'm starting to doubt if it's a word, but you know, it's true. There's no other way to describe them. Um, we had this literally incredible team around us. Um, I went to sleep the night before knowing that, you know, if everybody hated it and everybody hated me and, and the news was ill received, I knew at the very least, like a, I had my people and B we presented this in exactly the way that I like dreamed in my, in my wildest dreams. And I think that's really special. And, and so I've just been kind of living in that um, and, and living in the, in the, the, the joy of just an outpouring of support. I mean, people, people that I haven't talked to in years that I was on tour with, you know, 10 years ago reached out to me and were like, Hey, I know we haven't talked in forever, but like, you know, congratulations. This is so cool. I had people from like, from literally elementary school, you know, reach out to me and be like, wow, so cool to see you, you know, living your best life and, and, and making art and doing, you know, doing the things you want to be doing. Um, and I think that was that was really special. Um, and so I, I've just been kind of basking in the in the joy of that all week. Yeah, it's been really cool to watch as well. Just for me on the outside, just seeing day after day, new people discovering the song and yeah. really connecting to it and sharing it on Twitter. Yeah, the song is really good. One of my favorite songs I've ever heard from We Are The Union. Thank you. I'm not sure if it's because it was such a personal song, but it's just as a melody, as a just a song itself, so good. I'd love to know a little bit about the, obviously you chose this song not only to announce the album, but to just really announce everything. I'm, I'm curious about what, why you chose this song from the album. Sure. Um, you know, I think there's, so there's kind of two reasons. Number one is the the song kind of introduces my character in the record in the context of um you know there's a, there's a few different arcs on the record um obviously the the main arc is is my experience with gender dysphoria and my my um experience with with being a trans person and that song morbid obsessions kind of introduces that quote unquote character within the context of the record but also within the context of the band you know, I mean, it's, it's, I sort of almost see it as like an establishing shot, you know, on top of that, we went really hard on the whole record. I mean, the whole record is, 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 it is produced. John, John Graber and I went in on everything and we really like took our, took our time making sure from a producer, from a producing standpoint, 
that all the creative decisions were were the correct ones, um, and we weren't we weren't afraid to push ourselves and push the rest of the band, and um, and John especially was really good about pushing me and really making sure that that song was everything that it could be, um, and, and it was very intentionally written, kind of as as the first song that people would hear, and as the the introduction of that character. Uh, it is not the first song on the record, but it is kind of like. It really introduces that arc and yeah, it just, it, it's like, it's the ska punk banger on the record and it just felt, it just felt so right, you know, for that to be the first song It felt so right. I mean, as far as the, the whole concept of, of in defense of ska, like I feel like this song really, I feel like is the start of people taking the genre more seriously in a way. I mean, I feel like you've been able to elevate the, the genre above where, where I feel like it's, it's sat, especially for a lot of passive listeners um, with just this one song. So good job. Well, thank you. <laughs> That's very fine. Wow. I get like a lot of what, you know, a lot of what I discuss in my book and, and just kind of conversations we have is the concept of the songs that people that introduce people to ska and how that sort of affects their view of the genre. So you have in the nineties, not the best. I mean, I'm not saying that they're bad songs, but not necessarily the best versions of ska were the more popular ones. And there was like these great songs that were less popular. I always get a little irked when I think about the fact that Date Rape by Sublime was the first real 90s ska <laughs> single, even though I like Sublime. I just can't stand that song. And the song is atrocious. Yeah, it's it's awful. And But to so many people, that's ska. But now it's like you have all these people coming to the genre because they read the spin article, they heard about We're the Union, and this is like their introduction. Mm -hmm. And it's a great song, and it's an emotional song. I like connect to it emotionally on sort of the base level of the song, which I feel is sort of like living your truth. Just that emotion, I feel like it, it resonates with me. Yeah. Well, that's that's incredible to hear, and, and thank you. Yeah, it, it's it's one of... One of my favorite songs I've ever written. Um, and I think there's the fun for me is that there's like, there's so, there's so much of the record that, that, that I feel that way about that. Like the fact that people have only heard, you know, one, how many songs did we end up putting on it? I think it's 11, one 11th of the record is, is really exciting to me. You know, and I think that that's like, I can't wait for people to hear what else we have in store because that song, that song is like, you know, it's, it's the tip of the iceberg for me. And I think people, I think people are going to be really surprised, um, by, by kind of where, where the record goes musically. I, I'm very excited for, for, for that experience for people. And I, I hope, I hope their reaction is positive, but, uh, you know, either way, I'm, I'm just excited. Um, I'm excited to see what people think. So for those of us that are a little bit closer to the band, kind of the whole Bad Time Records family, there was this secrecy around this album mm -hmm. um leading up to it and and you know there are all these singles that the band had put out that aren't going to be on the record right for me like secrecy leading up to something so many bands are always like big news coming soon right <laughs> <laughs> and it's and it never really amounts to a lot so to finally <laughs> have a band follow through not only on a, on a musical level, but on a personal level with this announcement, 
was really kind of mind blowing for me to wake up that morning and see why, why everything had been so hush hush. And then also to see all the incredible, like, you know, the cover image and the title of the album and the associated uh, items that that were going to be produced to go along with the album. What can you talk about with all of that stuff? Musically, I really live in like the pop world in terms of what I listen to. And, you know, I, I've always been really inspired by like, you know, take a band like the 1975. Whether you love them or hate them, you can't deny that when they drop an album or a single, the world stops for a second. And it's because they're so good at creating a moment. And so for me, you know, I, I, I'm, first of all, I'm taking inspiration from that world where like, you know, an announcement is a moment. And like, if you're going to trying to think of a good analogy for this, but like, you know, I guess if you were going to try and plan a surprise party for someone and then Mm -hmm. you told them about it on the way to the party, where's the fun in that? Right. (laughs) Like, and that's kind of how I feel about, about music and about, um, and about art in general. Like, I think, I think it's so much more impactful and so much more meaningful and interesting when you just kind of go for it and you, you, and you, you make the announcement itself the moment, because I think a lot of artists are really, they're really sold on this idea of like, you got to hype people up. And I don't think that that's actually true. I think that the hype comes later. And I think that, that the best thing that you can do as an artist is lead with, with your work and let that define your moment. And, and so, you know, even with the singles before the record, we did the same thing. You know, we never announced when a single was coming. We would just put it out and we would put it out with full production and we would make a big deal of it. You know, we would do most of the times a full video, you know, we would do, um, and I, thank you to shout out to Chris Grau for putting up with us doing so many music videos, uh, and being a trooper about it and, and knocking it out of the park with every single one. Um, but you know, I think that's just kind of, to me, I think it's, it's more exciting for people to be surprised by something and then have it in that same moment that there's, there's such an overload of excitement there that you can't achieve. If you tell people, Oh, this thing's coming, you know? (laughs) And I think it, it stems from the old, the old school music industry where we didn't have the internet, right? 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And so that's how you had to do things. You had to tease things. You had to hype people up so that people would know to go look for it. But now people don't have to go looking for it. Now they're the, the you know, seven inch or, you know, however many inches their particular screen is device in their pocket um, will deliver them this information directly to their eyeballs and to their, into their ear holes. Right. And so just give it to them. I wish more bands would do that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so sick of people treating it the old way, trying to hype things beforehand. Just give me the thing. Yeah. People, people want to see us doing things as creators. People want to see us doing things. They don't want to see us talking about the things that we do. You know, they, they want to see you do the thing. So I, I think every artist should just do the thing and lead with that. It's so much more powerful when the thing is released and then, you're watching all the people talk about it 
and the fans or even there's just random people going like, wow, this is amazing. Like that's way more impactful if you're like on the fence or if you haven't given it a shot yet, way more impactful to see just random people as opposed to the creators themselves hyping it up. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, that's, that's exactly, it's exactly why we do things the way we do them. How long had you been working on this album? That's a great question. I mean, realistically, I started writing over a year ago, wrote an endless amount of songs. Um, you know, I don't, but I don't think I really accepted what the album was going to be until, you know, kind of a couple months, even before we went to record it. Um, you know, it wasn't really clear to me that this was going to be my coming out album until we really kind of, I really put kind of all my, all my chips on the table, so to speak. And I looked at, looked over everything I had and I went, yeah, this is, this is what it's going to be. Um, and, and, you know, there had always been kind of, since I, since I had, um, since I had come to terms with my, um, with my identity, I knew that I wanted to come out in some way through, through my music and through, through my art. And so it just kind of, it was kind of a natural thought process to, you know, writing these songs and realizing like, yeah, this is, this is definitely a main theme of the record. And then, you know, letting that fuel the inspiration to be like, okay, I think, I think that that means that, that I'm going to come out through the record and through, and through the art directly. Um, Cause you know, originally the idea was like, oh, well maybe I'll come out at a show and it'll be a whole, a whole thing there. And, um, I'm glad that we didn't do it that way. Uh, <laughs> very, very thankful that the, that the pandemic made that impossible. Cause I think that would have been a nightmare, but, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm so, so thankful and so happy that that's how it turned out because I think it's, you know, to me, it's perfect. You know, whether or not the record itself is perfect, the experience of coming out this way is, is so perfect. To me. And, and so, you know, have been working on it for, for over a year, but really like intensely since, you know, August, September, um, the band came out to California in October and we, we rented an Airbnb. Um, we told them that we were going on a work retreat. We told the Airbnb, Airbnb, uh, renters that it was a, a creative work retreat, which is not a lie. Um, it's just a, it's just a convenient retelling of the truth as I like to call it. Um, and, uh, you know, we set up a mobile studio and we, we isolated ourselves there for, for, um, a little over two weeks. And, uh, we wrote the majority of the parts and recorded the majority of the parts of the record in, in a house in Joshua tree, um, which was an incredible experience in and of itself. And, uh, and then, yeah, from there we, uh, we pretty quickly rolled into recording everything else and did drums last because we we're a bunch of weirdos. And you did drums last, really? We did drums last. Our songwriting process for this record was really wild. Yeah, you're gonna, you're gonna need to walk us through that. Yeah, <laughs> something that we did, we decided to do after we worked with um, with after Graber and I had worked with John Feldman on the Goldfinger record, we got to to co-produce both of us on that record, um, and and got to play a bunch on it, and and it was an incredible experience. But one of the takeaways that we that we that we got from that experience of working creatively with Feldman was kind of nothing is sacred except the song. And that, that sounds like a nothing statement, but, but what it really means is like, it doesn't really matter who played what or what happened when all that matters is that when you get to the, when you deliver that mix to, to your mastering engineer, that the song is the best that it can possibly be. 
And so like, you know, for example, with Feldman, like you'll, you'll get a mix back and like, there will be, you know, it'll be mix revision two or whatever. And there'll be totally different parts in the song. Like the, the verse will be different. Somebody else is singing on it now. Like, you know, and, and, uh, and those kind of changes just happen really all the way through the process. And so we looked at that and we went, how can we incorporate that philosophy and those ideas into what we are the union does? And so Graber and I kind of, um, it started with this, with those singles that we put out before the record, but we kind of, we figured out a workflow by which, you know, I kind of write the skeleton of the song, which means like basic, basic drums and chords and lyrics and vocal melodies. And all of that is considered scratch, which means any of it is subject to change at any point. And we take that and we literally build an entire song and we build the entire song using those MIDI drums, um, you know, digital drums so that we can change anything about the arrangement of the song at any point. If a trombone part is really cool and the whole band needs to hit with it, guess what? We can do that. Right. Because we haven't committed to anything. And in doing that, we're, we were, we were able to create a process by which we, we followed our gut entirely and almost let our brains kind of turn off. And I think that when you do that, you start to get some, some real magic on, on it from a creative standpoint. So yeah, we, we basically like, as we were writing the guitar parts and the bass parts and the trombone parts uh, and the, and the keep in the keys parts, all of that, we were able to make major arrangement changes through that whole process. And then once we finished all that, we said, okay, Brent, here are the songs, learn them. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it was great. I mean, it, it's, it, it gave us the, it gave us the room to, to really be free to make the right choice for the song at every moment up until the very last That's minute. so wild. I, I mean, I've joked so many times about recording drums last <laughs> to hear it actually executed in this way is totally mind blowing. Yeah. I mean, again, it's, it's, you know, it's, I love pop music and, and in pop music, the thing that they, the only thing that they care about is the vocal. And I don't necessarily like that approach for, for, you know, for a band, but I think what I take away from it is like, okay, well, the only thing that matters is whatever the lead is. So is that the vocal? Maybe. Is that the horn? Maybe. Is that the lead guitar? Maybe, maybe it's the bass, you know, but I, but everything in the song, has to fall in line and support whatever that whatever is is stealing the spotlight at that moment it's got to support it or it's got to go <laughs> and so when you record this way you, you can you can trim the fat in real time and then you make sure that the whole song is 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 written holistically and and every part kind of gets its moment and nobody's stepping on each other and uh, it's wild it's it's it really is a whole different way of thinking about, about songwriting than, than I think I had certainly engaged in before. Yeah. Think about how many times you've probably been in a studio and vocals are the last thing to get tracked and everybody's already totally burnt at that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so you're the thing that everybody's latching onto, it becomes a struggle because you're having to push through all these other takes that you've done to get a take that's solid rather than just like getting a solid, like the lead take right away. Jeez. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, the other thing too is like, you know, we're, 
we're very lucky that we were able to figure out a workflow that lets us essentially create the song in real time in the studio. That's the other thing too, you know, it, and then, then you're really talking about, you know, focusing on, on the vocal or focusing on the lead. Like it's, it's so it's, it makes songwriting challenging in a fun and new way. And again, it just kind of, it kind of lets you lead with your gut and tell your brain to shut up for a little bit. <laughs> we'll be right back after this. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hey, everybody. It's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ... How do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. The, the singles that were released before the album, were those written at the same time? as um, the songs for the album or were they written in a different time period? A little bit of both. Um, and, you know, there are, there are others that were recorded and not released and, or released, you know, on a comp or here and there, there are like little song skeletons floating around on hard drives. Um, and yeah, <laughs> some of them were written, were written with the intention of putting them on the record. And, and, you know, if you look at uh, um, fresh fruit for rotting punk rock stars, that song was originally recorded for the record, you know, uh, that was one of the songs we did at that house in Joshua Tree. I see. Ultimately, we cut that from the record, but we decided it was a great single, you know. Um, so, you know, it's a little bit of both, but some of them like, you know, Your Way, Your Time, for example. That song, um, you know, we originally wrote for, for as a custom song for a Kickstarter backer for the self-care Kickstarter. Graber and I wrote that song pretty much in the studio. You know, we had a lyric prompt from that, um, from that backer. We pretty much just took that. John and I sat down and we wrote the song in the studio. Um, and then, you know, next thing we knew the song was finished <laughs> and that was that. Uh, and, uh, you know, so it, it really just, it depends on every song is, is its own, um, was kind of its own process. And, and that was really, that was, but that's been really fun. And, and we'll get back into that, um, as a band, uh, soon for sure. We'll definitely hop back into, into doing more singles, uh, into doing kind of off the cuff, whatever we want type stuff. Um, cause I think that's really where I think that's, you know, I, I look at, at, I look to pop music and I look to hip hop and I look at those two genres and I see like, see so much freedom in, in terms of their creative process and in terms of their release process. And I, it's so fascinating. And I, I just go, well, why can't we do that? You know what I mean? Why can't we just, why, why can't more bands just drop singles and, and collab with other bands? And like, why I want to normalize that. I, I think that's like, I think that's such a cool thing. And um, whenever it's happened in our scene, it's been really cool. And I, I want to see it more. How was it to work like this in the pandemic? Uh, it was, it was difficult at times. I mean, you know, a, a, a lot of why we continued doing the singles that way is because we knew we wouldn't be able to get the band out here. 
safely until we kind of like made a plan. And so, you know, a lot of those singles uh, were were primarily just me and me and Graber kind of putting everything together. And then we would send, you know, we would write a horn part and send it to Jer and say, hey, can you record this? Or or sometimes we'd hit them up and be like, hey, what, you got any ideas? What do you got? Um, but for the most part, we kind of did that ourselves um, in, in Los Angeles because for people who don't know, We Are the Union is scattered all over the country. Mm-hmm. So it's really difficult for us. You know, some bands were lucky enough to kind of be able to create a little, a little bubble um, and, and continue to collaborate together in, in person or were able to figure out ways of doing it online. And um, for us, that was just kind of the way that that worked. Um, and, but, but when it came to the record, you know, I knew it was special and I knew we all knew that like everybody needed to be on it. So we kind of devised our, our plan by which it's like, okay, well, you know, if we're creating a social bubble for the <laughs> the time of quarantine, it's like, yes, there's some risk, but you know, we're completely isolated in a house of the desert. It's really our own risk and our own risk only. So like, all right, let's do it. Uh, <laughs> I saw somebody mention something about synth guitars. Is that a thing? There, there's no synth guitars. There, there are a lot of synthesizers on the record, um, a ton, uh, all over the record, and uh, there are a lot of really weird guitar tones that kind of sound like synthesizers. But they're they're definitely guitars. Um, yeah, there's there's definitely going to be some. I actually think uh, it was on Fresh Fruit for Rotting Punk Rock Stars that somebody asked what kind of synthesizer we used on the intro. And I was like, that's a guitar. It's just got like chorus and flanger and two different delays <laughs> and, you know, all sorts of other stuff going on. So like, I guess it kind of sounds like a keyboard, but um, yeah, there's a lot of like very like nineties kind of like grunge tones mm-hmm. in terms of like lead guitars, um, like super, super deep, super fast chorus that kind of just goes like, you know, like, super warbly um really really strange guitar tones um that we that we just thought were super fun and we we made a point to include because i think like you know we've all heard a punk rock lead guitar at this point i don't think we're going to do it any better than anyone else so like what if we just got weird with it what sort of effects were you running the guitar through what do you remember any interesting combinations that you came across we did absolutely everything through a kemper um, so there were no, there's no real amps on the entire record, bass or guitar. There's not a single real amplifier on the record. Huh. Um, it's all, it's all my, uh, my Kemper profiling amp. Also for anybody who hasn't seen, um, the Kemper, cause you brought it to practice. It, it looks like a space station. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, it sure does. Specifically, it looks like a space station from like the seventies or the eighties when they were yeah. trying to predict what a space station would look like. Right. It's very retro future. Yes. Um, it's very, it's a very strange looking device, but it, it does some incredible stuff. Um, and, uh, so I know one, one of like Ricky's main lead tones, um, that, that, that kind of became its own character on the record, um, is a profile of, uh, one of the silver tone amps we have at the studio, really old, uh, cool, like vintage indie rock amp. Fun fact about Silvertones, they were literally sold in the Sears catalog and they were supposed to be like kind of beginner guitar amps, but now they're one of the most sought after uh, amplifiers in indie rock, which I think is very funny, Um, but they sound very, they sound really good and cool, Um, but they were totally meant to be like, you know, kids first amp. So Ricky played through this tone that was uh, a profile of that Silvertone from the studio and 
there was, uh, we put a chorus that I believe was a model of a CE one, which is an old, an old Korg unit slash boss, depending on if you're talking about the rack unit or the pedal. Um, and, uh, then we put that into just like a gen- the generic Kemper flanger. Um, and then I believe there's also a rotor on there. So what you get is this like swirling, you get this swirling like motion in the guitar that makes it sound almost like an organ, like a Leslie, you know, how like Leslie's kind of have that like big, you know, almost, it's not vibrato, but so, you know, the, 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 that rotary sound of the spinning cabinet, you know, yeah. um, for anyone who doesn't know listening at home, uh, Leslie speakers are literally spinning and that's why they sound like that. Uh, so when I say rotary, that's what I'm referring to. It's a guitar effect that, that essentially mimics that. Um, and so, and then I think that is also going into a really tight slapback delay and then also a longer delay. Um, so two delays, <laughs> rotary, flanger, and chorus. And it just sounds like, it sounds like um, if the band Soundgarden had a sleep paralysis demon, <laughs> in the busy of the night, like that's what it sounds like, but it's playing like, you know, punk leads. Um, and so, and a lot of that was, was kind of inspired by like, you know, you listen to, listen to bands like Pup or you listen to bands like, um, like Charlie Bliss or the more recent Illuminati Hottie stuff. Like those guitars are doing, they're doing wild shit, <laughs> wild things, you know? Um, and, uh, and Sonic, sonically, I mean, and, uh, and so I was, I was listening to a lot of that and I was like, well, how can we take that and just like dial it up to 11 and make them sound almost like they're not guitars anymore? Um, and so there's, you know, there, there's a lot of moments on the record where there's just really, really intense motion guitars that almost sound like a synth and almost sound like an organ. And you can't quite pinpoint what it is. Um, those were, those were super, super fun to record. We had, we had a lot of, a lot of good times, uh, with that, with that tone. One thing I wanted to ask about, um, mm-hmm. I know that feeling the night before you're about to put new music out. Um, I've experienced it several times, but this, this was extra amplified. How, how was your sleep that night? Not good. Uh, not good. Would you, would you rank it more towards terrifying or more towards Christmas morning? Totally Christmas morning. 100%. I mean, I was terrified as we went to go like hit send, you know, on all, on all the posts. Yeah. But really, no, it was just excitement. Um, you know, like I said, I, I got nervous as we got closer to announce time, but, but no, I mean, I think when we were, um, no, when I went to sleep, I was just excited and just like, I, you know, I, I, I had so long to prepare mentally that I, I really, I really had my, my peace with it, you know? And, um, so yeah, it was just pure excitement and pure, like, you know, I mean, it helped that, like, I was surrounded by, by, you know, uh, by support, you know, uh, already before the announcement even went out. That certainly helped. Um, and, and that in of itself is, is, you know, a privilege and a joy. Um, but, you know, I, I think, yeah, it, it, there was, it was so much, it was so much of a joy moment and 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 not really much of a fear moment you know of course there's there's always nerves and there's always like what ifs and there's always what if everyone hates me you know but 
but you know, in terms of what I was feeling in my gut, no, it was, it was like, it's like we were on the way to Disneyland, you know? That's awesome. That, that morning waking up and, and, you know, what, after I get the coffee going, open up my phone and there's this picture of this <laughs> beautiful goth woman looking back at me. <laughs> and then I realize it's the, we are the union announcement. <laughs> and I'm, I'm like completely shocked, but like so stoked. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, can you talk a little bit about the, the photo shoots that Ray's done with you? Because oh, you to. look fucking awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, I'm, I am incredibly lucky um, that uh, I, my photographer, the band's photographer and I fell deeply in love with each other as before we were working on, on this record. Um, it was actually while we were working on the video for um, Fresh Fruit for Rotting Punk Rock Stars. And, uh, you know, we started dating shortly after uh, that video, but, um, you know, kind of as we were really starting to put together the, the record release. And, and I had known that we wanted to hire them um, to do the photo shoots, but uh, I didn't know exactly how it was going to play out. Um, and it turned out that not only did we hire them to do the photo shoots, they also, uh, we also hired them to be my makeup artist and, uh, and, uh, to literally help me like, you know, es essentially they, they became a, a full-blown stylist, honestly, and, and stepped into that role so magnificently. And like, you know, we, we literally would sit down and we would pick our location, you know, we, whether we were pouring through, through peer spaces for, um, peer spaces like Airbnb for, um, for, um, film and photo locations for people who don't know, um, you know, whether it was the two of us, you know, pouring through peer space locations or, you know, they have an incredible house with all sorts of, um, all sorts of literal sets for photo or video, whatever, whatever your heart desires, uh, literally in their house. Um, and so, you know, we were pouring through these locations and then we would kind of settle on a location and then we would literally create, you know, a, a we would essentially create the photos beforehand. We would talk about what I was going to wear. And then we would use that to kind of inform the band, like, okay, here are the colors for this shoot. You know, um, you know, we literally coordinated everything. You know, we, we basically, we made like a color scheme. We, we kind of gave general vibes for each of the different shoots. Um, and, and really Ray deserves all the credit. I mean, I kind of just, I, Ray and I were talking about this earlier today, honestly. And I was like, I feel like I just went shopping. Like, like I didn't actually really do anything except that I was like, I like that one. Let's do that. You know? <laughs> and, and meanwhile, Ray's the one doing all the heavy lifting of like, well, what about this? And what about, what about this outfit? And what about that? And they, they really kind of like jump started um, not only, not only the photos, but also my transition. I mean, they, they really helped me step into the person that, that I want to be. They taught me everything I know about makeup. They did my makeup for most of the photo shoots and most of the videos. Um, you know, and, and like I said, they, they went up and down my outfits with me. Um, and, and, and the funny thing is, you know, when it comes to the, uh, the first photos that came out, the solo photos of me, that shoot, I, uh, I proposed that as a joke. 
You know, I was like, oh, it would be so funny if I did like, you know, if I did like fishnets and a bra and a jacket. Like that'd be so like I've never seen a trans person come out that that like bravado and like fuck you here I am you know I'm, I'm sure there have been people who have done that in the past but it's just not something I've been familiar with and Ray was like you absolutely have to do that and 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 because of our you know personal relationship like was able to make me feel comfortable pushing pushing my boundaries and and was able to make me feel comfortable in a way that I felt comfortable doing that shoot that way and I'm I I, I couldn't be happier with how they turned out you know, and I think, um, really they deserve so, so much credit. And I'm, I'm so pleased with everything, all the photo shoots we've done, cause there's, there's still stuff that the world hasn't seen. Yet. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's, there's, we almost, we worked with Ray as intensely as we worked, you know, with, with John Graber or Chris Grau, you know, on, on the record and on the videos. I mean, they really stepped in and became an integral part of the record's aesthetic. And, and, you know, to that note, they even took the photo on the front cover of the album, <laughs> you know, uh, which is how this all got started. And I, I, I picked that photo back in October. Um, and then, you know, we kind of started talking to each other on Instagram and the rest is history, but, um, you know, they really informed the entire aesthetic. And it, I think it's so funny that, that they then also stepped into the role of like quite literally building the aesthetic uh, with me. And, and, you know, again, literally all credit to, to Ray Mystic for, for everything, for the photo shoots, for, um, for me being able to step in confidently to the person that I want to be and present myself in the way that I wanted to present myself. You know, I, 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 I couldn't be more grateful and more thankful to have them. Um, with me for that journey. And again, because of our relationship, like I felt so comfortable stepping confidently into, into photo shoots that I certainly would not have been able to do with just like a, a hired photographer um, that, I didn't, that I didn't know, you know, that's what really comes through in those images is, I mean, you couldn't have gotten those sort of images with somebody you didn't feel that level of trust with. Right. Yeah. And I think that's, it, it's so important. And, and I'm so grateful that we, that we took the time as a, as a band and as a group that we took the time to make that decision. And, and we made that, that, um, you know, we made that investment, you know, I think it's so easy as a band to, to pour all of your resources, all of your time and all of your money into the record. And then maybe a little bit for the video. Um, but I'm so glad that we took a beat. And we said, no, it's actually important to also spend some, some resources and some time and some energy on how we present the record to the world, especially, you know, not, not just because of, of the content of the record, but I also just think, you know, again, hearkening back to what I said earlier about, about, you know, I, I, I'm very informed by, by pop music and everything is a big show and a big ordeal in that world. And I just think like, I think, I think we spent so long as a band selling ourselves short and taking pictures of us all lined up against a brick wall. Um, <laughs> that's, that's what I really wanted to get to. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like, we, we really took the time to make sure that that wasn't the case. And I'm so grateful that, that we did as, as stressful as it was at times, it was, it was a hundred percent worth it. It makes such, such a big difference. So many bands just do the arms 
I mean, I'm I'm guilty of it. The arms folded in front of a brick wall. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's easy. It's easy, right? Like, well, it's just you need something quick. Hey, take hold this camera. Okay, we're all going to stand here. Can you see all of us? Okay, yeah. But what are we supposed to do with our hands? I don't know. Cross your hand, arms. We're going to stand. Let's stand from this brick wall <laughs> or on these railroad tracks. Okay, cool. Hey, should the singer be in the middle? I don't know. Uh, should we all be looking at the camera? No, this guy should be looking off to the left. Okay, cool. Picture go. And yep. then you end up with this terrible band photo <laughs> that you're stuck with for like five years. Meanwhile, we are the union took, took the time to take <laughs> literally, I'm pretty sure hundreds of good photos oh of my the God, entire band thousands. that are all styled. And you, you, everybody thought about what they're wearing. Mm-hmm. Everybody has an intention to what they're doing in the, in the photos. It paid off in, in droves, I think it's so much nicer to look at every time I, I open my phone and I, you know, there's constantly a new post from, from We Are the Union right now, as there should be as you're promoting an album, but I'm never bored. It's never the same, yeah, the same image. Yeah. It's always fresh. I just feel really grateful that <laughs> y'all went that extra mile. Yeah. First of all, thank you for, for the, the kind words, but you know, I think like, I think as musicians, it's so easy to be like, well, the music should speak for itself. And it's like, well, okay, but it's 2021. And our, you know, our brains have been trained uh, for better or for worse. Our brains have been trained to respond to visual stimuli. And that's how we relate to things now is through Instagram and through Twitter and through, you know, whatever it is, whatever your social media platform is through TikTok. Um, And so like, why, why, wouldn't you try to put your best foot forward and why wouldn't you take that moment to say like okay you work so hard on the music and yeah the music should speak for itself but you still have to give people a reason to listen to it in the first place and and whether that's because they think the band looks cool or whether it's because they hear a clip and there's something visual that that triggers their brain to stick around long enough for the song to register like whatever it is it's all valid and it's all important and and we should not we should not lose that as, as, as artists. I think we should be very, very, very careful to make sure that like we're presenting our art in a way that is also visually pleasing because it does matter in 2021. It's interesting to hear that not only was the contents of the album and your own personal story so interconnected, but the presentation of the album and the aesthetics of the album and everything that went into it, like you were saying, these are all interconnected and uh, I'm wondering how it feels to you. Does it feel like, is it hard to separate these things? You know, your own journey and your story and the album and the promotion of the album and the creating the aesthetic of the album. I guess I feel like we almost did the opposite. Like, I feel like we actually tried very hard to make it all holistic. And so like, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily know that we tried, that we wanted to separate any of those things. If that makes sense. Like we, we very very intentionally tried to craft it all as one experience. So yeah, it was, it was, it was literally impossible. You know, I think that that's the only way that we could present the record and present the story and and tell everything the way that we wanted to tell it was to, was to actually make it all one experience. And I think that, that, you know, I kind of, I just, I think of, I think of all those different things as extensions of the same body, if that makes sense. And so like 
they are all holistically part of the process and they're all integral. Yeah. And, and the process doesn't exist without all of them getting the attention that they need. And so, you know, I, I think I, I would actually, I would actually turn that around and say, you know, we, we didn't, uh, we didn't intend to separate any parts of those process. And, and in fact, we intended to integrate them all together. Seamlessly. We'll be right back after this. Hey everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. So, I mean, this was the announcement to the world of you coming out as a woman. How was the announcement with, within the band? <laughs> that happened a month before we went into the studio. Um, okay. Thank you, Anxiety. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, it, it was like, it was sort of a moment where it was like, okay, like, that's, this is what the record's about. You know, I can't, I can't deny it. It's what the record's about. We're all going to be in a room together working on these songs and like, I got to just tell them. And so I, I, you know, I had intended to call everybody and have kind of a conversation, but what ended up happening was I just texted the group chat and I was like, Hey, you know, I wanted to call everybody about this, but like it, my anxiety is not allowing that to happen. So like we're a month out from recording this record. And before we like buy plane tickets and like confirm this Airbnb and everything, like here's what the record is about. And like, here's a thing about me. Um, <laughs> and you know, so, uh, you know, that's sort of one of the difficulties of, of, of navigating, um, living across the country from, from your band is like not having that ability, you know, cause if we had, all, if, if you, if you live in the same place, you can kind of, you know, be like, Hey, let's, let's all meet up for, for a coffee or a drink or whatever, and, you know, um, and have a conversation, but, but not being able to do that, I kind of like kept going back and forth on, you know, well, do I call everybody individually or do I set up like a zoom meeting or do I do this or do I do that? And, um, but ultimately it just came down to the wire and I was like, well, I got to just tell them. I just, I, I don't want people like, I don't think anybody's not going to be supportive, but like I should probably let them know before we confirm <laughs> in case somebody turns out as like secretly super bigoted, um, you know, and, uh, but everybody was, was so supportive and, and, and loving and caring. And, and, you know, the, the reaction that day was just like, cool, we got you. Like, we're here for you. I'm very excited to to hear the record and to work on it together. Um, I thought, I, you know, it, it was really special. And, and that was kind of, that was a big moment for me because at that point, the amount of people who knew I was trans was, let's see, two, three, five. So that was, that was a very, very big moment for me. Literally doubling the amount of people who knew <laughs> in, in one text message. Um, Did, did Jer being non-binary make the, make it a little bit easier to make that text message. Absolutely. And truth be told, you know, their my friendship with them, um, in, in, in many, many ways, um, led me to my, to my own self-discovery, you know, we certain, certainly played a big role. And, uh, so yeah, I mean, I think they, they really, they played a big role in, in not only my own self-discovery, but also in my, in my ability to express it to the band. Yeah, certainly. So like, 
um, conversations you'd you'd have with Jer, maybe. Yeah, that's part of it, but also it's you know it's it's just them unapologetically being themselves. Yeah, and being around that, and 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 you know, I mean this this kind of was was the big focus of that of the spin article was like you know the the moment that I really accepted myself and really was like okay this is a thing was was when I played Magfest with Scottoon Network and I and I found myself surrounded by queer nerds <laughs> and I just hadn't ever experienced that in the nerd space before yeah and I was like wow like I, and that whole weekend and just hanging out with them and hanging out with their friends like and hanging out with the band I was like these are my people like these this this is this is it for me like I felt such a wave of confidence coming off of that experience um and and you know without without Jeremy without them there there would be no there 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 would be no um big like aha moment for me you know or or maybe there who knows there there could have been another I, I suppose but it certainly wouldn't have been as as poetic or as exciting as being on stage and being like wow like these literally are my people and I feel so comfortable and so like seen and so um and so valued and knowing that I could be myself unapologetically because I watched them do it because I watched Jared do it. Um, and, and so, yeah, they, they certainly played a, a massive role um, in, in my self-discovery, my self-expression, my, my acceptance, everything. I mean, you know, I think that's, that's a big part of why I think it's so important for us to, um, why it's so important for us to, uh, you know, talk about this experience as, as trans creators, um, and, and as queer creators, you know, those of us who, who can, I think exploring that experience, whether it's, you know, through, through, um, our art or through a podcast, you know, um, I think can help normalize and it can help normalize that experience and those realizations and hopefully inspire more people to find their own path and their own truth. I think that's like the most important thing that we can do as queer creators is, is hopefully inspire people through living our, our truth, hopefully inspire people to find their truth as well. And uh, that's really the hope and the dream. Yeah. I think it's so cool how um, the ska scene for the new bands is so queer friendly and that there's so many people that are queer that are in, that are musicians and in the scene. Um, so I remember back in the nineties, it just seemed like there was, I mean, I, I knew Lynette from Skank and Pickle. She was an out lesbian woman. And I can't really think off the top of my head, other prominent ska musicians that were, that were queer and that were out just for me. Cause Skank and Pickle was like my favorite band. And Lynette wasn't like a person that I looked up to. I didn't really think about this at the time, but when I was writing my book, I thought about it a lot. I was thinking that I grew up in the religious home. That was a church that was homophobic. And that Lynette was probably one of the first like openly gay people who was hundred percent down with it. And I, and like I was around that and I really feel like that had a big impact on me and into it just normalizing to me, which is like, oh, you know, she's a cool person. Like, I think, you know, that's the thought process. And then that's, that's it, you know? 
Absolutely. So it's cool to see so much more of the scene is that now. Yeah, I think it's 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 really inspiring. That's one of the coolest things to me about this kind of you know moment that Scott is having is is that it really is we're all trying our best to make it equitable for everyone. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's of course there's always room to grow and always room to improve. That will always be true. But it's nice to know that that's on everybody's minds. And that the scene is representative of that. We're starting to become representative of that. You know, again, we're not, we're not there fully. You know, there's always room to grow and always room to improve. But it, it's, it feels nice to, to look around and be like, yes, we're like creating the community bit by bit uh, that I've always hoped would exist. And, and it's so cool. You know, I mean, it, it makes sense to me that, that ska would be like a queer friendly music. And it's so strange to me that that it never, you know, not that it was unfriendly, but she was always just so weird to me that it was like, I just kind of, I don't know, something about it just feels like, feels like it should be like, you know, <laughs> part of our corner. You know what I mean? Like it's fun yeah. and it's like, you know, I, I don't know. Um, and so I'm I'm really excited to kind of see that, um, see that playing out. And seeing that become the case, because I think there's just, it seems like a, it's a match made in, in heaven. You know what I mean? It really is. <laughs> I agree. Like I've read so much about ska history and stuff. And as much as I love two-tone and those bands and what they mm-hmm. stood for, for anti-racism. And I always will think of that period of time as probably one of the greatest moments of pop music everything I've read about what it was like during that time was that it was very male and very macho. And even the couple of women that were in those bands, they felt a little bit like overwhelmed by the macho energy. And uh, it's just kind of funny to me to think about that as ska. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, that's kind of the story of, of the music industry as a whole, you know, I mean, yeah, it's been traditionally such a boys club, you know, unfortunately a staple of white supremacy, you know, and, you know, not, not in the sense of like, you know, active, active oppression. Well, no, I mean, it is, it is oppression, but it's, but it's, it's, it's almost more insidious. More passive than it's more passive. It's almost more yeah. insidious because it's like, you know, essentially, you know, it's been built on, on taking, taking, uh, especially black creators ideas and putting, you know, uh, some pretty white faces on them and repackaging them for, for American consumption. Right. I mean, that's the American music industry was built on. That. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's refreshing. It's refreshing to feel part of, you know, both within the ska community and within the DIY music community in general, it's refreshing to feel part of these two communities that are like, Nope, fuck that. Uh, you know, <laughs> this is like, you know, we're going to create a, a, a scene and a corner of the world where everyone can create and everyone can participate. And there is no room for, um, for bigotry. And I think that goes even further. You know, I think this is, this, this is the, the disconnect really the generational disconnect that, that has been causing so much friction as of late. Um, you know, you see anytime, anytime anybody posts anything about related to race is always the people who come out and, oh, people are so sensitive and this, you know, this, that, and the other. And it's like, well, first of all, 
chances are, if you're saying that, it's probably because you're not somebody who's subject to whatever's going on. And it's probably pretty easy for you to say it's not that big a deal. Um, but second of all, like, you know, I think it's easy to say like racism is bad or it's easy to say sexism is bad or whatever, whatever bigotry is bad. It's very easy to say that and stand there and do nothing about it. But I think what's so interesting to me about, um, and so cool to me about modern ska and modern punk and modern DIY, this whole, all these communities is that you see people actually doing the work that needs to be done to actually address these issues and like actually help people and actually participate in direct action and, and, you know, raise funds for, uh, for people who need it and for organizations who need it. And, and that is so unique, I think, to this particular corner of music. And that to me is like the most inspiring thing about being involved in this kind of like groundswell, um, of, of, of ska and of DIY and of punk that yeah. I'm seeing because it's, it's, it's full of people who are willing to have the difficult conversations and to say, to say the thing that might, you know, might lose us some followers on Twitter. Oh, well, didn't really care anyway. Uh, if they're not on board with this, you know what I mean? Um, and I think like, it's just really refreshing to see, you know, the tide kind of start to turn on that. And I hope that that continues. And I hope that, that everyone continues as this grows. I hope that everyone continues to put in the work and, and to, to work towards dismantling, uh, and unlearning because that's what, what is music for? If not, you know, changing the world. Right. So let's, let's try. (laughs) So Jer has been a guest on this show. And they told us the story from their point of view of how they joined We Are The Union. (laughs) And I would Mm -hmm. like to hear your point of view, because I believe I recall it started with them messaging you a bunch. Mm -hmm. So let's hear the other side of the story. They were trying to book us to play uh, shows all throughout South Florida where they were they were promoting shows. For like years, <laughs> for years, and it's funny. They showed me one of the messages that I sent them, and and it was like kind of a blow off, like not really taking them seriously. And I was like, "Wow, you got me on a good day," because I was a nightmare back then. I was like shocked. I was like, "I'm shocked you even got a response uh, at all." Uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, um, so yeah, that that's definitely that is the that is technically where the clock starts. But for me, um. <laughs> For me, it really started with them um, recording a trombone cover of um, of If I Can't Smoke or Swear I'm Fucked off of uh, You Can't Hide the Sun. They recorded a trombone cover of that, and our mutual friend Glenn sent us that video and was like, hey, at the time we didn't, we didn't have any horns. We were, we were just existing as a four-piece, which... I call those the the dark times. Um, <laughs> it was a, it was a thought, you know. I'm I, I'm glad we persevered because it led us to where we are now. But you know, it's I I I, I wish that we hadn't recorded during that time. Uh, <laughs> I'm happy with that EP, but I wish there were freaking horns on it. Um, anyway, um, so it started with yeah yeah the, uh, our mutual friend Glenn sending me a video of them playing if I can't smoke or swear I'm fucked and saying. Hey, y'all don't have horns right now. 
you're playing the fest, you should have this person play with you. And I was like, like my eyes like rolled. I was like, oh, here we go. Like how many, un, how many unsolicited, like, you know, let this person play in your, it's usually, it's usually let me play in your band. That's what it usually is. Um, but uh, because I knew Glenn, I was like, okay, I'll see what's going on. Uh, and I watched the video and they absolutely crushed it. And I was like, wow. Wow. Like this person is really good at the trombone and like likes the band a lot and like really wants, you know, really clearly like is interested in, in the music. And so I was like, okay. So I sent them a message and I was like, Hey, this is super random and super weird. Uh, you live in Florida, right? Do you want to play with us at the fest? And they were like, yeah, totally. And <laughs> so they, they came and played and it was it was it was such a good time we had so much fun and it just kind of like clicked you know it was just one of those moments sometimes you just connect with somebody and it's like you know sometimes you meet your people and you're like right away you're like yep yep, you're my people you know like you're you're somebody that's going to be important to me i don't know how i don't know why but like you know something just clicked and they they immediately became part of the the fabric of of the band so so quickly how did they do at that first show they nailed they crushed it they had so much <laughs> they had they had so much energy that i was struggling to keep up um this this was before i went through the the, the goldfinger boot camp um so i was like still still like kind of uh i don't think i was a bad performer but i certainly wasn't like the i certainly wasn't the like showboat that i am now um and uh and so I was like having trouble keeping up and I was like, this is awesome. Like, this is what we need. This is the energy we need. You know, as somebody who's just so excited and so just like full of energy, jumping around, dancing around, like having a good time. Um, and it really reinvigorated a lot of what I think we had kind of lost over the years, you know, for, for a long time, we were the union was just kind of grinding to grind, you know, it wasn't bad but it wasn't particularly enthusiastic or, or uh, exciting. You know, we were just kind of doing it cause it was a thing that we liked doing and it was pretty fun, you know, mm -hmm. but Jer coming along and then subsequently Brent coming along really kind of reinvigorated you know, the, the two of them together kind of reinvigorated my love of, of ska and made me inspired to, kind of go down that that rabbit hole again and revisit it and and remember what it was that I loved about it and uh so yeah I mean you, you want to talk about about you know writing the ship like it's not just that 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 their presence in the band added horns back into the mix it was that their presence and then subsequently uh Brent's presence turned the band into what it is now and and now it's like I listened back to our records before self-care and I'm like, this is a totally different band. You know, it doesn't even sound like the same band. Um, and I think that's really cool. So this probably relates obviously with uh, Jer and Brent, but not only did you guys get back into ska, but you got into like really playing it up, like kind of goofing on it a little bit and like, yeah 
kind of self-spoofing in an ironic way. I, I, I would love to hear about that. Yeah. I mean, we kind of, you know, that, that was kind of like with self-care because it was so like new and so exciting to be kind of leaning into, into that type of ska. We, yeah, we just decided to really ham it up and really have fun with it and, and you know, let, let the memes flow and, and let the jokes flow. And, you know, cause at, the, at that time, you know, we hadn't really, people are starting to come around now, but really nobody had come around on ska yet. Um, yeah. Except for people who were already there, you know? Yeah, exactly. Three years ago now. So over three years ago now. So we, we really just kind of let Jer's fun and Brent's fun kind of guide the ship on that. And, and, you know, it, it, we had a really good time during, during, you know, during those times kind of hamming it up and leaning into leaning into like the goofy side of things. And I think that, you know, I certainly, I like that we kind of, that we've kept that spirit, like the morbid obsessions video is definitely, you know, it's, 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 it's not like funny, but it is lighthearted, you know, and I think, and I think that that's that's something that I'm really glad that we were able to keep, even as we transitioned into into more sub- serious subject material and, and kind of expanding the scope, you know, of of the record. Um, the record is certainly certainly has a ton of ska on it, but it also has a bunch of other stuff. You know, it's got it's it really explores it explores a lot uh, a lot thematically and musically, and so as an extension of that the ska songs on the record are, are like up tempo, like danceable ska songs. And, and we had kind of started leaning into that a little bit on self-care, but you know, I mean, I, I think we really, really honed that in on, on ordinary life where it's like got morbid obsessions. You've got a couple other songs that are just like up tempo, absolutely danceable front to back, like ska punk bangers. Um, and I think that that's like, that's an extension of those times. Did you get to a point where you felt like you didn't need to lean into the sort of self parody of ska and kind of move on? Did that have to do with the the content of the new album or, or what did it relate to the, the shift of public perception of ska and not necessarily needing to have that sort of ironic reaction to it? I think it's both. You know, I mean, it, it certainly certainly is primarily rooted in the content of the record. Uh, you know, we, we really wanted to make sure that, that that was the driving force behind the record because that, you know, that's that's the story of the record and that's the that's kind of the big headline. And so, you know, we wanted to make sure that that was presented in a way that was kind of tasteful. Um, and again, you know, it, there's it's it's still plenty lighthearted, but it also acknowledge it's presented in a way that acknowledges the, the, the heaviness and, and the, the depth of it. But also, you know, to your point, yeah, public perception is changing and we're seeing younger people come along who maybe don't have that sort of preconceived notion of, you know, the, the bands in the 90s that kind of got t- typecast as goofballs, you know, whether, whether or not they deserved it. Um, and I think it's really, it's really interesting to see, you know, both both the younger people coming along who maybe don't have that preconceived notion, but also seeing some people kind of, you know, you have bands like bad operation come along and people are like, wait, do I like ska? Like, this isn't goofy. Like this is, (laughs) this sounds serious, but it's like really good. And it's like, 
makes me think, but it also makes me want to dance, you know? And, and, uh, and I think that is, it's really inspiring, really inspiring to see. For sure. Yeah. We'll be right back after this. Hey everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. I want to ask, I know you spent like a bunch of the time on hard times talking about leftover crack, but I have, if it's okay, I have one question about leftover crack. I'm going to set it up with a story. Okay. So I interviewed Scott for my book back in 2018. Mm -hmm. So I believe you were in the band. When in 2018 was it? So it was in Sacramento at the Holy Diver. Oh yeah, I was there. Okay. I didn't go to the show because I was so busy working on my book. I had to interview mm -hmm. him and then leave. So I, I wasn't sure if you were, I assumed you were in the band. Okay. So the tour manager told me that Scott was at like a long drugs or, or a drugstore or something. And so I went over there to pick him up and he was on his roller skates mm -hmm. uh, in line. <laughs> I never met him before. I just talked to him on Facebook and he's like, Hey, and so he said he wanted to go eat before we interviewed. So I took him to a grocery store um, that was just around the corner from the venue. And we're kind of starting the interview while we're at the grocery store. <laughs> and <laughs> we just got to leave the grocery store. He doesn't pay. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And he goes, he looks at me and he goes, I know this isn't ska. And then that's, that's it. <laughs> then we leave. <laughs> right. <No. laughs> And we went back to the van and interviewed the rest of the interview. Now, here's my question. <laughs> What's up with the roller skates? Tell me about the roller skates. I mean, this is literally what happened. Surgeon lost his shoes. Nobody knows how. Lost his shoes on like day one or two of the tour. And then we were driving through the Pacific Northwest. And we stopped at, I kid you not, a gas station slash thrift store, which is like, how many of those are there in the world? <laughs> they sell secondhand gasoline. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And he's like, all right, I guess I'll go get some shoes. And he comes back out with roller skates. And I was like, did you also get shoes? And he's like, nope, just the roller skates. And I was like, Okay. Uh, I guess that's, uh, I guess that's the reality we're living in. Um, it was, uh, it was very strange and very bizarre. Uh, I wish, I wish my time with that band had ended in a fashion that left me like more excited to like laugh about it. Uh, <laughs> cause it is a very funny story, but also it's like, well, maybe, 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 <laughs> yeah. maybe don't be a garbage person publicly on the internet. Uh, <laughs> don't be a garbage person at all. But if, you're, but if you're going to be a garbage person, um, why broadcast it? You know, because it's like, I certainly didn't know. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, that's who you are? Well, I'm out. Ooh, I'm out. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Had me fooled for a long time. No, I mean, yeah, I'm sure that was a weird experience all around. 
very, very, very surreal. And like, you know, like I said, you know, when, when the antics are, I bought roller skates instead of shoes, I'm all in. Sure. Yeah. When, when the antics start to like actually put other people in danger, I'm out, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, tagging your ex in a, in a violent Facebook post is, uh, it's pretty gnarly. It's pretty gnarly behavior that I think is uh, beyond unacceptable. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I definitely have loved telling the story of him stealing while I interviewed him. What am I trying to say? I'm just trying to say it's not like a big leap to feel like, oh, well, they might do other things that are not funny that, you know, cross lines. It, like I said, I mean, for, for the longest time, you know, my first my first few months, really first year playing with them was very, was very entertaining, you know? And then I started to kind of see it and then it really exploded in front of me. And I was like, oh, okay, got it. Yeah, like the, the character is not a character. Like that's, okay, got it. Okay, that's real. That's real. Okay. That's, uh, I'm out. Did that happen while you were at home or was that while happened, you were on yeah, tour? It happened between tours. Okay, um, good. And it was sort of a weird like limbo territory where, so they had, cause I was playing, that was as I was starting to, to, um, to play with Goldfinger. Right. Uh, and so they had uh, another person, Al, uh, playing with them as well. And so we were kind of like trading off shows. And so it happened um, during a run that Al was doing. But I was supposed to go with them to the UK shortly after. When that happened, you know, I I kind of like in my mind I was like, okay, I'm out, and I I slept on it, and I called everybody individually, and I just said, y'all, I I can't, I can't be part of this. Like, you know, there's no way, there's no way that I can participate in this band if this is what's going on. Like, this is there's there's just no way. Um, this is so so horrifying and so unacceptable. And, uh, and, you know, I, again, like I, I understand everybody's going to make their own decisions and, and it's not up to me to say that like, you know, anybody should do anything um, or should or shouldn't play in the band or do whatever. It's not up to me. Um, but for me, I looked at that situation and I went, this is not something that I can stand behind. And uh, so I called the, I called them and I said, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be available for the, the UK tour later that summer. Um, and uh, nobody really seemed to care either way. Um, uh, you know, and that's that's fine by me. Uh, you know, like I said, they they had a they had a, a, a another person that they were able to to pick up, and they just rolled along their merry way, which is kind of the kind of the Scott Sturgeon story. <laughs> yeah, I have one last thing I wanted to ask about, and that is mm-hmm. when Brent was on the show, we talked about the Kickstarter campaign for self-care i believe yeah and he talked a lot about how people were blown away at how goofy you were being for the videos and 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 promotion stuff for self-care i'd love to hear your your perspective on that campaign sure yeah i mean i think you know that was sort of the at that point we had written the record and we had recorded the record and I think since that record was so heavy and so um, focused on mental health, I had done a lot of processing and I was in, I was just in a really good place mentally. And and the reality is like, you know, I kind of had always had that in me. I just wasn't ever ready to like really express it or let it out. And, you know, coming hot off of finishing that record, you know, being so excited about bringing it to the world. I I felt a level of confidence and a level of enthusiasm that 
that I hadn't really experienced before. And so it was really easy for me to kind of jump into that character. Um, it definitely was a character, but it was easy for me to find it because I had done so much processing and so much unpacking as part of just writing that record. And, and I had grown so much and learned so much about myself and how to manage my, manage my depression and manage my anxiety. And you know, it's certainly still a journey that I'm on, you know, to this day, but I had, I had just, I had made so many strides that it was really easy for me to kind of like let the, let the wind in my wings carry me through that whole campaign. Um, and, and subsequently, you know, the next few years, I mean, I think it was really, you know, it was initially, it was the confidence in the record, but then it was the confirmation when we announced it and announced the Kickstarter. And when we started to see like really take off and we went, Oh, this might actually happen. You know, we might actually do this. So then, you know, my, my sort of second win was, was gaining that confidence of, wow, I think we're actually going to do this. I think we actually might, we actually might make our goal. And uh, so it got, it, it, it stayed easy for me to find that character and to find that motivation to be goofy and to be silly because I was like, people are resonating with this. People like it, you know, and, and people are seeing in that something that, you know, excites them and makes them interested in, in listening to, to the music. And, and, you know, again, you know, it's the same, the same thought process as what we were talking about earlier with the photo shoots for this record and the videos and how we, how we kind of wrapped everything together for this, you know, it's that idea of sure as musicians, we want to just be able to release a song and have the world stop and be like, Oh my God, what an amazing song you've written, but that's not how it works. You know, our attention spans are short and as musicians, we have to flail our arms and yell a little louder than we used to have to. And that's okay. Um, and so, it, you know, again, it, it was just sort of, it was just sort of being confident in the record and then being confident in the project that really propelled me to be able to tap into to that excitement and that sort of goofiness. Was there any particular moment or thing that you did that was like your favorite looking back on it? I really liked the first video. I thought it was so cool. I, you know, I thought it was like we, we worked, that was the one we worked probably the hardest on because the rest of them became very kind of like, um, quick and dirty, you know, but that one, we, we spent time and we wrote a whole script and I just think it was, it's such a bizarre video with, you know, with Graber in the background, flipping pancakes, which, you know, for reasons, um, <laughs> you know, I think like, I don't know, it's just such a goofy, bizarre video that I just love it. I, I love, I love things that are just like strange and nonsensical. And I love even more that if like, like if things that appear nonsensical, if you peel back a layer or two, you're like, Oh, I get it. You know, uh, they're throwing shade at whoever, you know? So I, I've always, I've always really liked that video. The, the first announced video where I'm just talking about the record and announcing the Kickstarter. And yeah, I've, I've always liked that one. Was there a thought process? Uh, you said it was like real well written out and stuff. Was there a like thought process behind it? Yeah, we were mostly trying to figure out like how much we could make fun of stack like pancakes without being mean. <laughs> you know, because at the same time, like you know, in in, in retrospect, like the entire internet was like kind of jumping on them at that time, and like, mm -hmm. yeah, it feels a little bad in retrospect. Like I'm sure that probably sucks to be in that position, uh, but you know, at the, at the time, um, it certainly it certainly 
it felt very funny. Uh, <laughs> in, in retrospect, like seeing all the other band member statements, I'm like, ooh, I feel bad that 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 uh, they they felt, kind of felt the same way. A lot of them, it seems that uh, we all did. Um, but you know, I, I think like, yeah, it was more. It was mostly just like, okay, how much shade can we throw, and also how can we get everything? How can we get everything across the line in terms of messaging? How can we make sure everybody understands what we're saying while also making it fun and interesting, but staying on message? And that was sort of like the big, the big push and pull, you know, was that sort of like, when do we get to be fun? When do we make, when do we make sure that we're staying on message? Um, and, and also just that was, it's also just cause it was the first one, I think too. You know, the first the the first stab at anything creative is always the most fun for me, um, just because there's 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 something pure about it where you don't really know what you're doing yet and you're just kind of figuring it out in real time and you're like, well, I don't know. Let's find out if this works. Throw something at the wall and see if it sticks. Here we go. I really like the um, virtual rude boy and the <laughs> and the the skeet shooting in the backyard with the record. Yep, oh, that, was a, that was a fun that was a fun video. Filming that video was miserable. It was like a hundred, it was a hundred and some degrees outside. One oh one that day or something like that. It was so hot, it was so 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 hot. We're just like throwing records around the backyard, sweating bullets. Always fun. Really quick, I just I just wanted to ask, where was the location that most of the current press photos were taken? The really super colorful location. All over. So the 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 first few sort of band photos that came out were actually all at one pier space. I don't remember the name of the studio, but it's in downtown LA. And yeah, it's just kind of in an unassuming building in, uh, in DTLA. And, uh, yeah, it's just like, it's so funny because it looks like four different locations, but it's literally just four different walls and it's all one, <laughs> all one room. Amazing. <laughs> all one room. And then the solo shoot, um, most of that is Ray's house. Yeah. That pink couch is, is in Ray's living room. I'm trying to think if there was another location. We did, we did, we do have some new shoots that were at a second, uh, a second pure space. And I'm trying to think if we did anything else. Oh, we did do some. Ray also has sort of like um, just like a flat background, um, in their garage. And we did some there. But yeah, the the primary, there's like first photos. Um, that first run of photos is yeah, it, all all quote unquote four of those sets are all from from the same room. Amazing. <laughs> it totally looks like four different spaces. Yeah, it really does. And, and, but also like cohesive, you know, and I think that's, yeah, yeah. I think it's like, it makes me so excited to, to do that more because of how like, yeah, it was a lot of work, but you put in all that work and then you get to the end result and you're like, wow, like absolutely blown away by how cool the space looks. And, and, you know, how we look like a real band in it and all that. Like, I think it was just such a, such a gratifying experience to put in all that work and then get to the end. Ray sends us the, the final photos and we're like, Oh my God, you know, and, uh, I mean, same with the videos too. You know, it's like you were chasing shots for the morbid obsessions video all around orange County and, and Los Angeles, like, you know, sneaking into a, into a park to do a graveyard scene, no permission, throwing dirt around it's like yeah we'll figure it out if anyone shows up we'll deal with them when they get here i was like chris are you sure he's like yeah no problem <laughs> if anybody shows up we'll just figure out something to say i was like okay here we go <laughs> but nobody showed up no it was no problem 
All right. It was no problem. Like, you know, I mean, we kept it quiet, so we weren't bothering because there was, there was houses nearby, you know, we kept it quiet. But yeah, I just thought it was, so, it was, it's, it was a really fun process doing all the visuals, you know, the photo shoots and the videos and everything, you know, even down to like Mike at bad time has been generating all these beautiful assets for us with, you know, with mock-ups of the records and even, even that, even those have just been so, so gorgeous. I'm like, I feel so lucky to have this incredible team of people working with us on this record and just knocking it out of the park at every stage. And every time we do anything, I'm like, I don't know how, but this is better than the last one. (laughs) I just saw a cut of, uh, of the, a new cut of the video for the second single today. And I was like, Oh my God, it's perfect. That'll, that's the video for uh, for Boys Will Be Girls, which is the the second song, uh, the second single in the record. It's it's a uh, it is a paint filled uh, a paint filled adventure. Yeah, it, it's uh, it, it's quite quite an adventure visually that really expands on on everything else that we've done. Um, and, and it's just so cool again to have this team of people who like keep coming up with creative ideas that look amazing and are are fun to film and fun to watch. I hope. Uh, <laughs> it's so cool. You know, I, I just feel, I feel so much gratitude. How much cleanup was there at the end of this video? It took us two days. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you had to clean for two days after the new video. Yeah. I mean, well, so we were there after the, we wrapped the video at, I think it was like, like, I don't know, six or seven. No, it was probably closer to like seven or 8 PM that we wrapped the video. And then we basically mopped the floor for four hours, four or five hours. Uh, and the walls. Uh, and uh, then we had to come back a few days later to like move a bunch of stuff around. And yeah, it took us basically, you know, basically two days to do to do cleanup for that video. It was it was a lot. Um, but it was funny when we left that warehouse, you, you would never know. You would never know from uh, from what it looks like at the end of that video. You would never know it was shot in that warehouse. It's it's so funny. I mean, for, for for all that paint, for all that everything, it's funny. Chris originally asked us to get acrylic paint, and Ray was like, "Absolutely, do not get acrylic paint. Absolutely, do not do that. You want tempera paint. Uh, if you get acrylic paint, you will first of all be covered in paint for the rest of your lives. But also, you have to clean that warehouse. And the way that you clean acrylic paint is you paint over it. Uh, <laughs> so uh, so we we swapped it out for for tempera paint. And Chris was like, "Oh yeah, that's what I meant." I was like, you fucker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ray Ray really saved saved y'all's asses on that. Sure, sure did. But yeah, it was uh that was a fun one to film. I've uh, I've never been so excited to be so covered in paint. And it was funny, like in the middle of that video shoot, I was like, Man, do I just have like a gluttony for punishment or something? Is that because I feel like we end every video like even with morbid obsessions, I was covered in dirt at one point. Like, what's what is it about me that I'm I'm just like yeah, cover me in in rotten produce and and uh, <laughs> and uh, and food colored uh, cornstarch. Yeah, let's go. Let's uh, cover me in eggnog. Whatever it is, like I don't know what it is about me. It leaves me open to that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to In Defense of Ska. If you haven't already, subscribe to my newsletter at aaroncarns.substack.com. You will get episodes of the In Defense of Ska podcast and other content sent directly to your inbox. 
If you would like to order my book, In Defense of Ska, you can go to Amazon, request it at your favorite indie bookstore or library, or go to clashbooks.com. And on that note, we leave you by saying, Ska now more than ever. Thank you. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.